0: This message was presented at the GYC 2015 conference called Chosen Faithful in Louisville, Kentucky. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. I'd like to invite you to bow your heads and we'll have a word of prayer together. Our Father in heaven, we are so thankful for every opportunity that you afford us to speak out for you. Our testimonies are not about us. In Revelation 12:11, you tell us that we overcome the accuser of the brethren by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. So, Father, our presentations are about you and to be a blessing to others, but most of all, to lift you up, to vindicate your character, to vindicate your power, to vindicate you as the God of love that you really, truly are. Bless us as we spend this time together. In Jesus' name, amen. The last two years that we have been here, I think we all shared our testimonies. I have done that twice now. I don't know how many of you were here to hear those testimonies, but I thought this time I would not share my testimony because I believe that uh, uh, I, I feel impressed to do my part to help enlighten and equip the church to deal with this gay issue in a redemptive way because we are truly living in um, the time that is spoken of by Jesus in Luke 17 as it was in the days of Lot so shall it be when the son of man shall appear notice when he shall appear we're living at a time when the this gay issue is now a global phenomenon and to me that is a sign of the imminent return and very soon return of jesus christ and so we feel a sense of urgency that we need to help the church meet this issue head on to give the trumpet a sound of certainty to not be timid and shy about this issue helping you to not give in to the political correctness and conventional thinking which is not built upon faith in Jesus and the Word of God. Um, The the world at large does not know the power of God to save people from their sins. You know, when I, um, 24 years ago, uh, I had studied my way to the point that I wanted to walk out of the gay life. I had been using all of the same excuses that many gay people use, that I was born this way, God made me this way, once gay, always gay. This is an acceptable alternative lifestyle, but I never felt convinced myself. I had a degree in theology before I went into the gay life, so I was a difficult person to talk to. Um, A degree in theology can be very dangerous if it's in an unconverted mind, an unconverted heart. So people had a very difficult time talking with me because I could out-talk them uh, based on the knowledge that I had in the Bible, but I was using it like Satan does. He leads people down the broad way to destruction with truths. You know that, right? But there's a problem with his truth. It's not the whole truth and nothing but the truth. It's just enough truth like Abraham. Remember, Abraham said, she is my sister. That was true. But she was also his wife and he was withholding that bit of information. Uh, Satan does that with truth. But I studied my way to find all of my answers strictly in the Bible and the spirit of prophecy. And I want to stress this very, very strongly, young people. We Seventh-day Adventists have the answer to the gay issue. Why? Because we are the one people that are the repositories of the law today, We can use the text of Scripture that define sin, and you can only overcome the enemy if you can define him. Uh, No, that's not a political statement. (laughs) This is a biblical statement. We can only overcome the enemy as we define it. We know what it is. And so I want to stress this with you, that if you accept the Seventh-day Adventist message in its purity, in its simplicity without compromise, without diluting it, without mixing it with the, the conventional thinking through psychology, psychiatry, and social science, uh, then it is a powerful tool. Now, don't get me wrong, psychology, psychiatry, and social science can also be very powerful tools if they are subjugated to the Word of God. But uh, without the Word of God, the wisdom of man is what with God? foolishness Uh, okay well when I was walking away from my gay life 24 years ago there was a friend of mine who was in seventh-day Adventist kinship does anyone know who that what that is SDA kinship is an organization of gay seventh-day Adventists I kind of think that's an oxymoron but anyway to be a prefix Christian um, that's another article another subject but anyway He's now an officer in SDA kinship, but back then, twenty-four years ago, he we had become friends, and as I was walking out of the gay life, he said, Ron, I'm going to be watching you. I'm going to be keeping my eye on you. If you last for two years in the straight world, then I'll believe that just maybe I would be able to do the same. He had been married, he had children. He was the pastor of a very large church in Central California. He turned his back on all of that, went into the gay life, and now that statement let me know that he was being prompted by the Lord. He was being under conviction. He did not feel comfortable in his gay life. And he was going to be watching me. If I could pull this off for two years, then maybe he could do the same. I ran into him at general conference nine years later... My, book had just, my first book had just been published, um, under the pen name, by the way, of Victor J. Adamson. I was urged to use a pen name for my protection. Um, but anyway, I cornered him. We had a talk. I said, say, do you remember the last time we saw each other and the last time we had a discussion? And he said, yes, I do. Remember what you said to me? He said, yes, I do. I said, well, I'm going to repeat. You said you would be watching and keeping your eye on me for two years. If I could make it, then there would be hope for you too. He said, yes, I remember that. I said, it's been nine years. There's hope for you. He said, I'm not interested anymore. I'm an officer in SDA kinship, and I'm not interested in that. Uh, so now he's in the, his interest is in promoting homosexuality to be embraced by the church. In other words, there's a strong effort out there, young people, to get the church to change its position rather than the sinner changing his behavior. The church is about transformation. Not of the church, but of the people. And so, not of our beliefs, but of the people. I want to share with you, from the last chapter of my book, uh, called You Too Can Be Made Whole, I want to share with you The process the Lord led me through. This is my attempt in just one presentation to try to equip you, to enlighten you, to know how to deal with someone who is gay that is looking for answers. Perhaps there's someone here today who is struggling with this issue. And you want answers. Uh, You want to know how you can possibly overcome that issue in your life. And so... What I did in my book, I just reviewed the process the Lord led me through to, first of all, get my attention, to hold my attention, to convict me, to convert me, and to give me newness of life, and to sustain me in that life. I've now been 24 years out of the gay life, I've been married for 23 years, we have two children in college, and um, anyway, I could soon well, my kids aren't married, but technically, I could be a grandpa any time in the next few years. (laughs) I am a grandpa. I just thought about that. My oldest grandson is the same age as my younger son. They're both 21. Oh, well, never mind. Uh, But anyway, the point is, God is good. He is all about restoring what the, the years the locust has eaten, you know, he's about restoring. So, I want to go through these steps with you that the Lord led me through. If you want to take notes to just jot down the points, there are like 14 points that I'm going to elaborate on. And it's the process the Lord led me through, and I have found that it's been very helpful to a lot of people. Number one, as I was studying about God through the Bible and the spirit of prophecy, starting out with steps to Christ with a margarita in one hand and a cigarette in the other, I couldn't read without relaxing. Young people, don't ever do that. God meets you where you are, and none of you are there. But I was. But as I was studying, I fell in love with the Lord, and I realized God's love for me. Even in my degraded, self-destructive state of life, God loved me intensely. He loved me too much to leave me where I was. If you're adopting a child, you adopt a child to give him a better life. Not to love him and leave him in the orphanage, you don 't love him and leave him where he is. You love him and give him a better life and I began to realize this about God because first john four eight tells us that God is love, and as the the more I read about him, the more I realized he really is, and a loving father only has my good at heart, and so as I began to realize his love for me, and that's where, that's where you start. It's God's love that draws you to him. When I took my stand for Jesus, I went forward to accept a call, take, to take a stand for Jesus. I was still in a lifetime, a lifetime relationship with, with a man, and I had no clue how I could ever get out of that. But I had studied to the point that I loved Jesus more. And I took a stand saying, I want to follow him. I didn't take a stand saying, I'm ready for translation. I took a stand saying, I want to follow Jesus. That's where you start. You don't have to bring anything to the altar except yourself and say, I want to follow him. I love him. He loves me. And I want to love him in return. And I have learned to love him in return. And what did I just do? There. (laughs) Wrong button, sorry. I wasn't born in the techie generation, so I pushed the wrong buttons sometimes. Anyway, we read in John 3.16, and I like to paraphrase. You know, I think it's important to immerse yourself in Scripture and apply it to yourself. For God the Father so loved you, the gay person, the drug addict, the adulterer, the alcoholic, whoever, whatever your issue is, God so loved you that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him... Whosoever means even you, whoever you are, should not perish but have everlasting life. And I read in Romans 5, verses 6, 8, and 10 for when we were yet without strength. See, when I went forward to accept Jesus, I had no strength. I went to him in my weakness and I just said, I just want to follow Jesus. I have no clue how I can ever follow through with this. This statement, or this, this uh, declaration, but I was very weak. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for whom? The ungodly. No one was more ungodly than I was. And I realized God died for me. Whether or not I accepted him, he still died for me, showing that he loved me so that I would respond to that love and, and come to him. But God commended His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. So, I begin... And, you know, the Bible is full of these kinds of texts of Scripture that show us the love of God. And by beholding Him, we become changed, right? And I'm just sharing with you a few, a few thoughts to help you get the point. As with Jeremiah god can say of you before i formed thee in the belly i knew thee you know i truly believe from the moment a child is conceived satan knows it and he knows your circumstances he knows your family he knows the genetics he knows all about you from the moment you're conceived and he kicks in a customized plan for your life but this text says before conception right before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. God has an advantage, doesn't he, young people? He also has a customized plan for your life, and it's up to us to follow one plan or the other. Uh, that's about choice. We'll come to that point later. But after realizing God's love for me, it was then time for me to face myself. It, this is really important. Truth can bear scrutiny. If you are so comfortable in your life of adultery, homosexuality, drug addiction, uh, whatever vice it may be, if that is your truth, truth can bear scrutiny. So face yourself. Don't be afraid to take a good look at your situation. I like this text in Isaiah 1 verse 18, where Jesus says, God says, come now, Let us reason together. Have you really thought about the significance of that text of Scripture? God has created us with minds that can reason with Him on His level. I mean, that doesn't mean we're equal with God, but it means we can reason with His mind. That's amazing. And we're going to be using that capacity through all eternity. God invites us to reason with Him. In other words, his way is logical. It makes sense. From a loving father, his way is very reasonable. And he invites us in to reason with him. In other words, he would like to be in on the discussions that we have. When it comes to the gay issue, maybe God would like to be involved in that discussion. Maybe it would be a good idea to let him have the last word, at least once in a while, right? Because he is all-knowing. How can you refute anything that God says? That is one of my very favorite texts of Scripture. He invites you to come and sit down, and let's just chat. Let's talk it out. Let's reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, here again I'm paraphrasing, don't be afraid to come to me. They shall be as white as snow, I promise. Right? Though they be red like crimson, don't refuse me, they shall be as wool, I promise. If you be willing notice if. I've been wanting to write a book for years called If. Don't steal my idea now, because I am going to do it someday. If you be willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land, I promise. And so forth and so on. You can look at these promises and get great encouragement. So as I faced myself, I realized exactly what I was and what I was dealing with. You know what I had to do next? I had to acknowledge (laughs) that I was dealing with a life of sin. Just acknowledge that your issue is a sin issue. As long as I was saying this is an acceptable alternative lifestyle, as long as I blamed God for making me this way, blaming the man who molested me sexually at the age of four, he wasn't four, I was four, You know, as long as I was doing all of that, God couldn't help me. Notice he says, only acknowledge your iniquity. I'm jumping ahead. I'll get to that in a minute. But Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Most of you probably are not dealing with the gay issue. Maybe none of you are dealing with the gay issue personally, but you're dealing with a sin issue, aren't you? We all have sin issues to deal with. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So we need to just acknowledge whatever this is that is causing separation between the Lord and myself, this is a sin issue because once we do that, here's the text, only acknowledge thine iniquity. That thou hast transgressed against the Lord thy God. Turn, O backsliding children, saith the Lord, for I am married unto you. You have perverted your way and forgotten the Lord your God. Yes, I had many people I could blame in my life, but I had chosen to give in to the conditioning and the circumstances and go into the gay life. But you couldn't tell me that back then. I just said, I've just accepted who I am. Well, if you accept something, isn't that a choice? Yeah. You have perverted your way. Return ye backsliding children, come back to me and I will what? Heal your backsliding. See, once you acknowledge that your issue is a sin issue, oh, God can go to work. He says you have to, Jesus came to save us from our sins. Not from some acceptable alternative lifestyle, but from sin. So if we acknowledge that it's a sin issue, then he says, okay. Okay. If you acknowledge that this is a transgression of the law of God, now I can go to work with you and we can have a great journey together. Does that make sense? Only acknowledge that it is a sin issue. If you will but confess your sin, God is faithful and just, not only to forgive you of your sin, the whole Christian world talks about forgiveness, love, acceptance, pardon, justification. You see bumper stickers saying "Pardon." Have you ever seen a bumper sticker representing the other part of the text? Cleansed? (laughs) The whole Christian world believes in pardon and justification. But what about sanctification? Jesus promises if we confess, he forgives and also cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Notice all. Little word, huge significance. To change you, to recreate you into his image and into his character. You see, God wants us to be clean, and he promises that he will do this for us if we will just submit to the cleansing process. Number four, no matter who you are, and it came to that point, I began to realize salvation was for me too. I had been told when I left the Lord in my youth, that kind can never change, and that's that eventually became the title of my first book um i i was made to believe that god could change anybody else but me so therefore he was impotent rather than omnipotent or if he could change me but wouldn't then he was not a god of love that he was supposed to be but as i studied i realized the plan of salvation is for me too gay people can be saved As we travel around the world, we meet people all over the world that have come out of the gay life just like we have, many of them married with children, many just living lives, single, celibate, but godly, pure lives, but you'll never read about that in the media. They want you to believe that once gay, always gay. Friends, it is not true, and it doesn't take more than one person to disprove it. I'll be exhibit A. How about you? You know, we live to prove that God is all-powerful to vindicate his character, to vindicate his power. I read in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, there hath no temptation taken you but such as is common to man. I grew up thinking that my situation was unique. I didn't know another gay person in the world. I didn't know anyone that had the thoughts, imaginations, wild fantasies and so forth that I had. But the Bible says, oh, you're not uncommon. There are many people that have the same types of temptations, but God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able. Whatever is on your plate, (laughs) whatever hand you have been dealt in your life, God knows that his strength is sufficient for that weakness. He will not deal you something that he cannot help you with. He will not allow you to be tempted above you what you are able to bear. But will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. Isn't that wonderful? The plan of salvation can apply to any person on the planet. Number, okay, this text. I also realized in reading the word of God, if a man also lie with mankind as he lieth with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. This text covers committed gay relationships. Do you see that? You may say, well, I'm in a monogamous, committed gay relationship. Surely the Lord can bless fidelity. Not if it's with the same gender. If a man lie with a man as with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. All right? We all grew up knowing this, but... There's a little word in there that I misunderstood. It says an abomination. What does that imply? There are more than, more, There's more than one. An abomination implies there's another one somewhere. So, in my book, I took every abomination I could find in the Bible and put them all together in one paragraph. You know what that did for me? It made me feel so good. Not about my abomination, but about overcoming it. Because I know that God can help people overcome idolatry. Remember Ruth the Moabitess? Idolatry. She became a Christian. What about an impure sacrifice? These are abominations in the Bible, occultic practices. I baptized a Satanist some years ago. He was two weeks away from becoming a Satanist high priest, which involved human sacrifices. And he backed out at the last minute. And I baptized him. He is a godly Seventh-day Adventist Christian today. Amen. If God can save a Satanist from Satanism, he can save a homosexual from his homosexuality. Wearing that which pertaineth to the opposite sex. We didn't know that was abomination, or did we? There's a lot of this going on today. But God can save you from that. Certain remarriages to former spouses. Whoever knew that a remarriage could be abomination? You'll have to look that up in Deuteronomy 24. It'll tell you all about that. Dishonesty, perverse behavior, a proud look, a lying tongue, murder, wicked imaginations, mischief. That bothers me because I always grew up, I mean, I grew up as a mischievous child. But my father was a mischievous child. My mother said, your daddy was the most difficult child I ever had to raise. He was so mischievous. Um, But, I don't think it's talking about just teasing, you know, having fun. Anyway, false witness that speaks lies. Look at this one. He that sows discord among brethren. You know, we have a lot of abominations in the church. You look at this list. There is a lot of abomination within the church. But the good news is, God can save from all of that. And if He can save from all of that, He can certainly save a gay person from being gay. Justifying evil and condemning the just. Adultery. Now, when I came across that, I said, praise the Lord, adultery is abomination. Because, you know, there are these macho men that kind of take pride in all of their exploits. They don't realize that's just as much abomination as same-sex attractions and behavior. And I... And so thankful the Lord put that in there. So any of you macho men that are looking down on gay men, get over it. (laughs) Adultery, period, is abomination with the Lord, right? And there are many adulterers that have stopped committing adultery. So why can't a gay person stop committing adultery as well? We all need a Savior from sin, don't we? From abomination... Of one kind or another number five the com- the cause of homosexuality is really irrelevant we could spend all week talking about the causes of homosexuality but you know the bible doesn't spend a lot of time talking about the causes of sin it does talk about the mystery of iniquity the bible is all about solutions so let's get over the causes i mean it's okay to look at your life and analyze somewhat, somewhat. But to spend your life in self-analysis, you know what the end result will be? If you finally figure out why you are who you are, then you can justify it. I have a friend that says, I'm Italian. I'm supposed to be angry. Oh, really? (laughs) He's finally figured out why he has a temper problem. He's Italian. Well, the Germans can come up with excuses for their behavior and the Swedes and the... Jesus was a Jew. What would his excuse be for whatever but he never sinned so we can't blame our heritage the cause doesn't matter what matters is solutions did jesus come to save the homosexual in his homosexuality or from his homosexuality he came to save his people from their sins i want to give you a little allegory here if a person is drowning in the sea does it matter why (laughs) i can tell you a story about my brother and i when we were young He was a year older stronger bigger better looking and everything i say jim you're still a year older Uh, but i almost drowned him once it didn't matter my dad why he was drowning and whose fault it was what mattered was saving his life right what really matters is this the lifeguard is there a lifeguard when it comes to the sea of sin, is there a lifeguard? Imagine that you are drowning in the sea. The lifeguard comes up in his boat. He He reaches out to grab you, but first he says, how did you get yourself into this predicament anyway? Did you fall off your boat? Did you jump in? Did someone push you out here? Did you get caught in a riptide? Is it my fault you're drowning? Did you choose to swim out here, what kind of a lifeguard would that be? And yet we picture Jesus that way. We've got to explain or excuse our bad behavior. Are you drowning in the sea of sin? Whatever the issue may be, what matters? I love this picture. Whoever painted that picture, it's a new one. Here you are drowning and you're looking up and there's the hand of Jesus Piercing through the water to grab your hand and yank you out. Isn't that a wonderful picture? Just reach out and take the hand of Jesus. There are three sins, by the way, especially offensive to God. Are you aware of that? Homosexuality, not included. I know that's one that's especially offensive to you, maybe, but not to God. Three sins especially offensive to God. Pride. Okay, it's in a rainbow color. You get the point. All right. Pride. Selfishness. What's the other one? Covetousness. Three sins especially offensive to God. And when we learned that, you know, I wondered, why are those especially offensive to God? And then it dawned on me. These are the three sins that made a devil out of Lucifer. Study Lucifer. Uh, no, don't, I'm not talking about Luciferian religion. Just study what the Bible says about Lucifer. He was riddled with pride, selfishness, and covetousness. It made a devil out of him. What do you think it will make out of you? It may make an adulterer out of one, an alcoholic out of another, and a homosexual out of another these three you'll never kill a tree by picking the fruit did you know that homosexuality is a fruit on the tree but the roots of that tree are pride selfishness and covetousness you just look at the gay pride movement and you will see what I'm talking about number six we need to move along these Kentucky clocks are moving kind of fast learn to forgive if you want victory in your life you must learn to forgive I was talking with a young man in Tabasco, Mexico, just last week, 18 years old, and he was having a real struggle, and we had a long conversation about this. I said, you know, if you will just forgive your father, you will see a load roll off your back. You will be set free like you won't believe. The most touching story in my book is this story... Of my dad's and my reconciliation I grew up hating my father he was so emotionally abusive towards me not understanding me but he was so instrumental in my conversion later on in the last 20 years of his life we lived next door to each other the best and closest of friends God is about reconciliation we must learn to forgive if we want to be set free Jesus says, forgive us our debts in the Lord's Prayer as we forgive our debtors. I want to show you the face of someone who is, has not learned to forgive. This is the face of resentment. Something may have happened in this person's life when they were a little child. They've never let it go. So in, his, in her mind, that incident is still recurring every single day. Because she has not let it go when you resent when you hang on I coined a new phrase that I was so startled one day I was sitting on a panel there's a psychiatrist or a psychologist on the same panel I don't have my PhD in that I have my PhD in experience but anyway I was sitting there and I was talking about this issue of emotional retardation you know what I mean by that if you hang on to something that happened to you when you were five, six, seven years old, you don't forgive, you don't let it go, that's where you're stuck in your emotional maturity. And you will continue going through life as that five, six-year-old pouting. (laughs) And I was mentioning this, and the psychologist interrupted me. We call that emotional arrest. I said, oh, so you understand what I'm talking about. Well, yes, but there is a term for it. It's not retardation it's arrest well that is actually more more correct isn't it retardation is slow growth arrest is no growth so that is a better term but friends if you are holding on to something against someone who has harmed you when you were somewhere in the past that's where you have stopped growing emotionally and probably spiritually you really need to forgive learn to forgive If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. Beautiful text. I'm going to look at that a little bit more later. Number seven, this whole thing is, in fact, a matter of choice. I didn't realize that. I argued against that. I had a lifetime of making good choices and still fell into the gay life with a degree in theology with honors from Southern Adventist University and still went into the gay life. I had a lifetime of good choices, but one bad choice erased all of the good ones. And no one could tell me it was a matter of choice because I would list the good choices I had made, and then I'd say, I just finally accepted who I am, not realizing I just um, conceded their opinion. (laughs) If you accept something, you have chosen it, right? As long as I was resisting, I was okay. Joshua 24, 15, Choose ye this day whom ye will serve. Choose whom ye will serve. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Philippians 2, 5. See, let. That's choice, isn't it? The Bible is repeatedly telling us choose, let, allow. Allow Jesus to work. 1 Corinthians six eleven This is a favorite text for probably... Uh, well, one of the favorite texts, I think, for all of us in coming out ministries, verses 9 and 10 list all the people who won't be in heaven. Three times I was lost. I, I mean, it nailed me three or four times. But then I love verse 11 such were some of you. Isn't that past tense? Such were some of you, but ye are washed, ye are sanctified, ye are justified. See, we can have newness of life if we just choose it. That doesn't make it easy but what would your life be like if everything was easy? How many of you guys work out with weights? I'll bet Tanner does, right? Never mind, I won't point you out. But anyway, you know what it's like? If you work out with weight, it takes struggle to get strong, doesn't it? How would you like to go to the gym and just always lift five pounds? I mean, what kind of resistance is that? We are to... And to exercise, and we become strong. It is a matter of choice. If any man will, see, if, there's that if again. You see why I want to write that book? If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. You know, we're also told in Romans, I think, 12, 1, present your bodies a living sacrifice. If something offends... You know, well, the Bible says cut it off, but I don't think that means literally, you know. We're to present our bodies a living sacrifice. If something is not right with you and God, sacrifice that which is not right because your loving Father really knows best. His way will be better for you in the end. Number eight, walk with God. Learn to walk with Him. That's very important, to walk with God. Um, Christ's Object Lessons 129 tells us we can converse with God as you would talk with a friend. And as you commune with Him, you're beholding Him and you become more and more like Him. How do we walk with God? But through prayer and through study of God's Word. And I, I didn't put it in here, but also spending time with Him in nature. When you're out in nature, far away from the din and the racket of the world, far away from the worldly music and the worldly noise and everything, and you just hear... The sounds that God has created. It is so soothing. We just flew in a couple days ago from, to, from Mexico. We were down in Tabasco. I was speaking at a youth congress down there. And on one of those days, we went out into the jungle, way out into the jungle, to this gorgeous waterfall. And there were monkeys out there, screaming, sounding like lions, really. I mean, it was, but it was interesting the, the sounds that they're making, the birds that were out there, the waterfall. It was so refreshing and so invigorating to be out there. In a, everything you heard was God's was God's voice, and it was really, really nice. And as you walk with God, you become um, more and more uh, successful in overcoming. Protect your environment. Number nine: Learn to protect your environment. I have to tell you when I came away from the gay life it was not free from temptation i actually uprooted myself from southern california moved all the way to the ozark mountains of arkansas i uprooted myself from gridlock and smog and nightlife and all that stuff that traffic and the millions of people and moved in the woods and the mountains of ozarks of the ozarks where all you could hear at night was crickets maybe some tree frogs and it was really a shock to me I, it was kind of like having whiplash or whatever um, but boy, I love it there now. I really love where I am, but I chose to uproot myself and to practice several things to protect my environment, to guard well the avenues to the soul we've all we 're all familiar with here no evil, see no evil, speak no evil and all of that but I started practicing bringing every thought into captivity under the obedience of Christ I took my my homosexuality, I mentally, I did an exercise, I hung it on the forbidden tree in the Garden of Eden. No matter how delectable the fruit, it's on the wrong tree, right? And so, it's off limits, it's not an option. I turned my back on that. It didn't matter how, what is, what is they call this, Siren sirene call, no matter how the call of the tempter, he's in the wrong tree, not going there. Nice try, no thanks, not interested. I turned my back on that. And then I started practicing things like this. Flipping the switch, turning the page, changing the channel, turning my head, changing the subject. See, these are mental exercises that you do, and it's biblical. And you start doing that, and you starve the old, and you feed the new. Whatsoever things are true, honest, just, pure, lovely, good report. If there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. And yes, Satan will throw mud balls your way, but you don't have to let them stick. Temptation, oops, getting ahead of myself. Never mind. <laughs> you don't have to let it stick, throw it back. A fleeting thought is not sin, a lingering thought may be. You get the point? So, think on these things. Protecting the environment. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Don't you love that picture? Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You know, if you submit yourself to God in the morning, resist the devil, um, we can do that by memorizing Scripture. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. And um, when you start quoting scripture, the devil can't stand it. He has to leave. There's power, young people, power in the word. We were doing a presentation out in um, California, um, St. Helena. There was a lady there. You may remember this lady came to me after a presentation She said, you know, we have had a couple of opportunities where we've had to deal with people that were in demonic possession And we would pray over them, and the demon would leave. But sometimes the demon would come back. And we learned that if we sang hymns of praise, the demons would leave. But even then, sometimes they would come back. And then we discovered if we sang about the blood, not only would they leave, they would leave screaming. Isn't that something? So, sing. Power in the blood. Every chance you get, sing about the power in the blood the point is there are certain things the devil cannot stand you quote scripture you sing scripture songs you sing hymns of praise and if you're really having a struggle sing about the power in the blood see what happens submit yourself therefore to god resist the devil and he will flee from you number 10 personalize scripture i did a little bit of that earlier um, Insert your own name into promises. I have a a whole chapter in my second book called A Rainbow of Promises. It's just power-packed promises, um, one right after the other, after the other. It's just power, power, power. And in those, when I read promises, I insert my name or my sin or my issue into those texts of Scripture. Boy, they come alive when you do that. So, personalized scripture, Second Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, we alluded to this text earlier. Do you see anything wrong with this picture? I mean, it's a beautiful picture, and I used it, but do you see anything wrong with it? What's wrong with it? <laughs> you know, that picture represents the common belief in Christianity that Jesus just covers our sins. But Ezekiel says, remove the filthy garments and then cover with the righteousness of Christ. But anyway, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. What is a creature but the work of a creator, correct? Who is our creator? This is where I always get in trouble. You be careful how you report on me after you leave here. Our Creator is a perfectionist. Now, I'm not a perfectionist, except that I believe in His perfection. And if He's the Creator, and He's creating a new creature out of you, it's going to be a process. But when He's done with you, He's going to seal you. You know, when a potter works with that lump of clay, it's a process, isn't it? And he finally gets that piece of pottery just absolutely perfect, and he stops spinning it on that wheel. But is he done with it? No. He then sends it through the fire. And that seals it, right? But just remember, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. You are in the hands of a creator. He's not going to do something less than perfection with you. Don't claim perfection, because he's still spinning you on that wheel. (laughs) Don't claim it, but certainly aim it, right? Aim for that perfection, because you're focusing on Jesus. By beholding him, we become changed. Allow him to perfect his character in you. Trust that he can do that. That text goes on to say, old things are passed away. In Arkansas... By the way, that's my daddy's tombstone. It's not mine. (laughs) But I know there's probably one in the making. (laughs) Waiting, I don't know. Old things are passed away. That means in Arkansas we have a funeral. So if old things are passed away, starve the old, let it die, and then bury it. Make it no longer an option. Don't even consider it as an option in your life. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. You know, people that knew me in Southern California when I was in the gay life would never recognize that man there. You probably don't recognize him either. (laughs) That is me. It's just not yesterday. But anyway, all things are become new. Number 11, act upon God's word. There is power in the word of God. And so when you read the word of God, note, just remember who it is you, you are reading the mind of God. He has put his thoughts in this book. And if you want to know what God thinks, read about it and notice, by the word of the Lord were the heavens made. Now that's pretty powerful, isn't it? And all the hosts of them by the breath of his mouth. That's pretty powerful. For he spake, and it was done, he commanded, and it stood fast. We have that same power in the written word of God today. If you claim those promises that God has made, you have that same power. That's why we can be new creatures in Christ. Recreative power, the same power that God used to create... He can use to recreate. Notice Lazarus was dead and his sister said, Lord, by now he stinketh. He'd been in the tomb for four days. What did Jesus do? Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus was recreated. A literal recreation that we know as factual in the word of God. And when Mary came with her sin, she was brought before him in her sin. Jesus said, neither do I condemn thee. You know, gay people love that part of that text. They love it. You know, SDA kinship, the people have done the Seventh Gay Adventist film and all of that. They'll quote that, neither do I condemn thee. So who are you to condemn my homosexuality? Jesus says, neither do I condemn thee. Well, read the rest of the sentence. Jesus could say it without taking a breath. Don't cut it short neither do I condemn thee, go and sin no more. And yet, we actually heard the producer of the Seventh-day Venice film say, that's being used as hate speech. Go and sin no more. How can that be hate speech? That's quoting Jesus. God is love, he's not hate. What it's saying is, I don't condemn you with your sin issue, but you can go free from that. Go and what happened? Mary went and she walked free. She overcame. There was power in the word. All of God's biddings are enablings. If he says, "Go and don't do that anymore, you can be absolutely sure you can go and do that no more, because there's that recreative power in His commands. First Corinthians 10:13, "There is no temptation taken you but such as is common to man. The God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able. We used this text earlier. But will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. Take that literally as it reads. Can you see that? You know, we are to take the Bible as it reads. There are lots of texts of Scripture that are symbolic in language. There's nothing symbolic about that. The promises of God... Are literal, but they're also conditional. Number 12, be grateful. That is such a wonderful thing to think about. Accept with gratitude that which God has offered. God created Adam and Eve. He gave Adam Eve to be his helpmeet. He could have made Adam without a helpmeet. God created Eve for Adam. He created Adam and he was to be the husband of Eve. Let us be grateful for what he has given. God has created a wonderful thing in the institution of marriage. But a lot of times we think that what God sets up as, like the law of God, is a restriction. Now, think about offense. Look at that lamb. Is he being restricted or is he being protected? is he being restricted well inside that fence he has everything he needs he has pasture he has water he has everything he needs for a wonderful life but as he's looking at that fence it looks like he's looking at something green on the other side right (laughs) and many times we do that and we think of the law of god as a restriction rather than a protection. I want you to just chew on that. When God says, Thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, is he restricting you or is he protecting you? And if you have any confusion over that, Jesus said, If you love me, keep my commandments. So this is what I say. Uh, I put the two together. If you love me, don't have other gods. You know, if you are married, you can understand that line. If you ever expect to be married... Can't you understand that language? If you love me, don't go traipsing after someone else. That's understandable. If you love me, remember our special day. Like our anniversary. Oh, I'm glad I say that. Today is my anniversary. I've got a phone call to make. But I'll wait for a few more minutes. Uh, my wife's at home. Yours too? Today? Oh, All right. But remember, if you love me remember our special occasions our special day like sabbath so if you do that the law of god takes on a whole new perspective uh, uh, uh what a whole new identity it is the law of liberty if you resist the law of god and you want freedom from that law you're wanting freedom from liberty and freedom from liberty ends up being bondage so we need to look at the law of god and be grateful for what god has given us um yes we should be able to walk forward in life with great gratitude now number 13 i'm trying to finish these last two points before the clock runs out on me number 13 temptation is not sin there are people that have come to me and said well have you ever been tempted like that since you accepted jesus i said well what's your point well if so you're of that same orientation oh really they're they're insinuating that temptation identifies who you are. But remember, when I came, I I answer this way. I was baptized 24 years ago. Satan wasn't. So, I chose a new direction for my life. Satan didn't choose a new direction for his. He is the tempter. Don't identify me with him and his plan for my life. He can throw all the temptations He wants. It's up to me to say yes or no. Temptation is not sin. Why do I say that? Because Jesus was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. I quoted that passage to a theology professor once. And I told him where I came from. And he said, oh, his reaction was just priceless. You should have seen him. He recoiled. You don't mean to think Jesus was tempted like that, do you? I said, how do you think he was tempted? Like you? Well, that's not fair. In fact, I find that disgusting. He got my point. I said, I'm not going to try to picture every thought that ever went through his head through temptation, but don't take that text away from me. That's my text. Jesus was tempted in all points. See, I'm inserting myself in the text. Jesus was tempted in all points like me, yet without sin. So don't try to identify me with something Satan is doing. If you want to find an identity for me, look at where I'm going and what I'm choosing. That's who I am. In Hebrews chapter 2, we read, Jesus suffered being tempted, which means he struggled. Now I get back to the weightlifting thing. You ladies don't do that. I maybe, I don't know. Oh, you do? Yeah. My daughter is, my oldest daughter is a, is a trainer, certified trainer. Uh, So yeah, I understand that she's in that, but I can just look at my daughter and I realize, you know, struggling is not, I mean, there's, there is, uh, there are rewards for struggle. I mean, she was Ms. USA several years ago in body fitness. But I mean, she really works at this. The point is, Jesus suffered being tempted. He struggled. But struggle makes you strong, doesn't it? When Jesus says, my grace is sufficient for you, he's saying, I will supply you the strength, but you exercise it. In other words, don't pray the Lord will take it away and get upset with him if he doesn't. He doesn't promise to take it away. He didn't take it away from Paul, did he? When Paul paid, prayed repeatedly that the Lord would take something away, Jesus said, no, you take it away. Again, I'm paraphrasing. I will give you the strength. My strength is sufficient for that. You exercise. Every time you say no, that gets weaker, you get stronger. Does that make sense? Jesus supplies the grace, the power, the strength. We exercise it. Jesus suffered being tempted. Why should we not expect to struggle as well. It's okay to struggle. And he actually resisted under blood, striving against sin and never yielded. He chose to die rather than sin. And many, many of his followers have chosen the same thing. And we could talk all day about that too, about the martyrs through the ages that have chosen to die rather than give in and denounce their Lord. Orientation is not determined by one's temptations. I used to be a pilot, and after that I became a hang glider pilot for a number of years, and I realized that orientation is determined by calibration, by calculation, by choice. I've flown in violent storm, a violent storm, headwinds, tailwinds, crosswinds, and I never let that determine where I was going. Does that make sense? Don't allow the crosswinds of Satan define your orientation. You do whatever calibration and recalibration is necessary to get where you're going. That is your orientation, the direction you are choosing to go and the destination you are choosing to reach. And I know there are all kinds of opposing views on that, but they're not biblical. Orientation in the dictionary is defined as a direction of choice. And if that doesn't satisfy you, then there's the word of reorientation, right? So it is temptation is not sin. Do not be defined by it. Finally, the secret to overcoming. What do you see in that picture? (laughs) The secret to overcoming sin. We're told in the spirit of prophecy. I had several pictures that I thought were really cute for this illustration. Helping someone else to overcome. The secret to overcoming sin is helping someone else to overcome sin. How? By the blood of the Lamb, by the word of our testimony. Every time we get up and share our stories, you know what? We are more blessed than you. Why? That's biblical. It is more blessed to give than to receive. I chose Victor J. Adamson as my pen name because I was known on radio talk shows around the country for years as Victor. Why would I choose that name? Positive reinforcement. And every time I give my testimony, I go away feeling stronger because I've just reviewed once again what the Lord has done in my life and what he can do in my life. The secret to overcoming. Use the heavenly principle for joy. Jesus first. Remember Joseph. How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? He put God first, above his hormones, above his temptations. He was a young man, hormones raging, and confronted by a beautiful woman. And he ran. How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? God was number one in his life. Second, others second in our lives. When Jesus cleansed the Gadarene uh, demoniacs, he said, go home to your friends and tell them all how the great things the Lord has done for thee and hath had compassion on thee. So others, you help, you share with others and uh, work for others and put yourself last. This is the heavenly principle. And I would close with this benediction. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant make you perfect. Uh Uh-oh, there's that word again. I didn't write this, young people. I'm just reading it. Make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. See, he is our righteousness, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So Jesus works in us to perfect our characters And while we submit to that process, he covers us with perfection. How can you lose? As long as you are willing to let him work in you, he considers you perfect already. So in that sense, we can be perfect, right? We are perfect in Jesus. While he's working to help us overcome, we are counted as though we had never sinned. I don't know how you could ever argue with God's plan for your salvation. All right. I did not have time to put this on the screen. But if you have questions, before we have our closing prayer, if you have questions, we're going to have a QA on Sabbath afternoon. That's usually our best presentation. It is so much well, I shouldn't say fun. It's okay to have fun, isn't it? Yeah. Alright, it's so much fun to interact with the audience, to have your questions uh presented to us and You know, they kind of catch us sometimes. It's like, whoa, we didn't have time to really think about this one. But the Lord prompts. The Lord has answers. If you have questions, we want you to text them. So write down this number or put it in your device, whatever. 605-786-8206. If you can't text them, I guess you can write them down and Stick it in somebody's pocket that'll get it to us. (laughs) One of our pockets. Again, 605 786 8206. And young people, I want to encourage you if you're struggling with any sin issue, through our extreme conversions, the Lord is being presented as an extreme God, right? Extreme love, extreme compassion, extreme power. You can break free. You can be free. Jesus said, if the Son therefore sets you free, you are free indeed. And you can stay free. We serve an awesome God. Let us stand and we'll have a, a closing prayer. Our Father in heaven, we are so thankful that you are our God. God of love, God of power, a God of sacrifice. You have demonstrated your great love for us in giving your only begotten Son. What a, our, We can never understand what you went through in giving your Son to die for us. The extreme heartbreak and pain and suffering that you went through. And we are so thankful for Jesus who willingly submitted himself to that sacrificial process and his love for us, that we might have his eternal life. He was willing to give his life for ours. We are so thankful. Lord, help us to respond to that love in a way that is only pleasing to you, that we may truly break free, live free, stay free through Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. This message was recorded at the GYC 2015 conference called Chosen Faithful in Louisville, Kentucky. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org.